Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. I need the kids to come up here and help me. I need you guys to help me. I've got a burden that I need to get unpacked today. Because uh, we're going to try and unpack some burdens over the next few weeks. So uh, if you guys can come up here, can you help me with this bag over here? Maybe see if you can pick it up. You got it? You need any help? Okay, Andrew's got it. Come on over. Watch out for the light there. Or we'll be in trouble with Mr. J. You know, you don't want to do that. Wow. See, look, I mean... What if we put that on your back? You think? No, I don't think we want to do that. I don't even want to put it on my... I, you know, just think about walking through downtown New York with this. Ugh. I wonder why it's so heavy. You think there's something in it? Yeah. What do you, should we check? You think it's a brick? Well, let's see if you're right. Look in there. What is it? It's a brick. In fact, there's more than one brick. Look, there's two bricks. Wait, there's three bricks. So do you know what that says? Very good. We can't get rid of those bricks yet. Those are for next week. I have to to carry this around all next week. So today we're unburdening the burden of shame that we carry. And it kind of ties in with what you guys are learning today because... And sometimes, just like you helped me with this, with this uh, bag today, sometimes we need each other to help each other out, right? And so that's, we don't have to carry the burden by ourselves, right? So, good news is, we don't have to put this back in the bag. We can leave it right there. Maybe I'll move it so somebody doesn't trip on it. But All right? So maybe uh, if uh, Kathy and Stephanie can come up. We pray for you guys and pray for the offering. Yeah, I could see taking that back to class. That'd be a real temptation. You don't need the bricks? All right, so let's extend our hands to the kids and we'll pray for them and pray for the offering. So Lord, it is so much fun to watch how these guys learn. And we just pray that they'd learn more about you. And they'd serve you and that their hearts would be surrendered to you. Bless the class time. Bless Kathy and Stephanie as they teach them. We ask in your name. And also, we ask you to bless the offering too. Amen. All right. BJ? Somebody? Layton? Nobody ever wants my offering. I think I could tell I should have put more bricks in there. Um, So anyway, um, I have some questions I need you to help me with to start with today. And they're kind of who am I questions. So I'm going to give you a brief biography of a person in the scriptures that will be familiar. And you can just, uh, let me give the bio first before you shout it out. But let me uh, see if you know who these people are. 
My life was a wreck. I had five failed marriages. And I came to a well when the sun blazed so I could draw some water alone and hide from comments and whispers and condemning looks. And then I met him. Who is it? The woman at the well of Samaria that meets Jesus, right? Okay? All right, here's another who am I. Um, I was a powerful man. In fact, powerful over all of Israel. And uh, one day I abused my power because I submitted to the sin of, of lust and I took another man's wife. I got her pregnant and I had her husband killed. And out of fear of exposing the wickedness of my shame, I tried to hide it in a cover-up that, as I said, turned into a murderous action that was confronted by a prophet. Who am I? David. And then the last one is, I suffered for many years with issues that were part of the affliction of being a female. And for 12 years, all that time, I was considered unclean, uncomfortable, and uncomforted. And I saw Jesus heal others, but because I was unclean, I never could get close enough. And one day I fought my way through the, through the crowd, and, and I got to the front of the crowd, and I just touched the hem of His garment, even though I was trying to hide from the anonymity of my shame. And because of that, I was healed. Who am I? The woman with the issue of blood, as the Scriptures call her. All of these characters who carried shame, and if we added to the, bi the biography, we could add other stories with another 25 or 30 stories this morning of different things that we've carried and maybe even we're carrying this morning. And so I want to invite you to look with me at Genesis chapter 2, the end of Genesis chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. But we want to begin a series today called Unburdened. And one of the burdens that we carry is the burden of shame. And sometimes we get rid of the burden that we're carrying, then we pick it up again. And there's other times we discover there's another aspect of shame we didn't realize existed in our life, and it shows up, and we need to deal with that. And so we go back to the beginning of the Scriptures, and we know that that's where the story started. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word there, or the phrase not ashamed, actually means there was no disappointment in each other. No disappointment in the relationship to God, the Father. They were not confounded. There was no weariness. They were full of life. Life was flourishing. There was no discouragement in one another. No discouragement about what life was bringing to them. They were full of confidence and everything that they put their hand to flourished. That's what it means that they were not ashamed. But then you go into Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and it says, The serpent was more crafty than the, any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. And God said, 
You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was a tree, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Do you think this was the first time that they ever heard the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day? I think probably many, many times. In fact, there were probably times that they anticipated. I wonder when he's coming. Anticipating with joy and expectation that, oh, we get to have that time with our Creator. And this time, though, it was so different because of their failure to follow his leading and his guiding in their lives. And they heard a sign and heard a sound of him coming. And instead of responding with joy, this time they respond with shame. And verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? And I want to have you think about the fact with everything that I shared this morning that those three words are really the heart of the gospel. They're in the story of Luke 15, the prodigal, the prodigal son. The shepherd going after the lost sheep. The woman looking for the lost coin. The heart of that question. The heart of the Father. Where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Another way of saying that is I, I heard your powerful presence moving in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. He had heard that sound before and responded with great joy and this time the only choice he had was to hide. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate and already we have one of the symptoms of shame. Which is, it's your fault, God. Or it's her fault or his fault or it's the family I was raised in or it's the circumstances it's the fact that I've always had to live on Long Island or whatever it might be some kind of thing that we give excuses for the shame that we carry instead of receiving the remedy of the gospel in the question where are you where are you is not some interrogation of some angry commanding officer but the heart of it is this anguish cry, anguish cry of a heartfelt father looking for his son and daughter saying, where are you? Where are you? I'm here to have fellowship with you once again. And there's this huge gulf that's created because of the burden of shame. All of us have shame in one way or another. 
at different stages of our life. It affects everyone in this room. It's universal. It's one of the most primitive emotions. It's really one of the very first emotions we know about from the Scriptures. It's in our, it's in our DNA. It's in our spiritual DNA. In a great book that I want to mention to you called Mending, Mending the Soul, which is a book about dealing with trauma and the effects of trauma in your life. I have a copy of it if you'd like to borrow it sometime or I'd encourage you to order it for yourself if you'd like. Even for your own life or just for the life of someone in your family or a friend. But in this book, the author, uh, Stephen Tracy, says, shame is a deep, painful sense of inadequacy and personal failure based on the inability to live up to a standard of conduct, one's own standard or one imposed by others. Some of us have experienced shame because of being in toxic church situations. And so because of that environment, we've been inflicted with shame that came from others that we didn't ask for, but then as we tried to get away from the situation, we carried it with us like, like a, something attached to Velcro. And we're trying to shake it off and we just can't get rid of it. Oftentimes we're afraid to talk about shame. And I would say that probably the one place we should be safe to talk about shame is the church. But sadly enough, sometimes the most unsafe place to talk about shame is the church. But we want this to be a safe place because it's a very painful emotion and at the same time, it's a painful emotion. It's a divine gift because it's a gift that turns us back to God to receive the remedy of the heart of a father that wants to lift the burden of shame. We also know that because of the story we read, the familiar story we know about, we know that Satan has a strategy. You know what his strategy is, right? His strategy is to get you to stay hidden in your shame as long as he can. His strategy is to keep you pressed down and living with the shame that comes from abuse. Maybe it was abuse when you were a little boy or a girl. Maybe it was a situation that happened at work a couple of years ago and you just continue to carry it and the enemy's strategy is to get you to deny or ignore that it's there. Or sometimes his strategy is to take on someone else's shame. Someone in your family carries shame and it, it affects the family system so much that it's, it's permeating throughout the system of your family. And Satan's strategy is for you to carry the burden of trying to fix all the problems. And you get to the place where you get so weary because you can't keep fixing your parents' problems or your brother or sister's problems or whatever it might be. The Satan's strategy is to try to convince you there's no forgiveness for shame. You got it? You get to... You get to live with it all your life. You can't get rid of it. Another strategy of the enemy is to take on the harsh judgment that comes from shame. Kind of like um, the scarlet letter. And you just feel like you walk around with it even though others don't really see it. It's something you know is there and you just can't get rid of it. Shame is the negative judgment of an action. It's a judgment of an action of what have I done, and interestingly, research demonstrates that guilt motivates resolution, 
while shame motivates hiding and blame. And I want to talk about that a little bit more in just a little bit, in a minute, but shame and guilt are two different things, I hope you know. And, and shame is this intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. It's about identity. It's about something we feel like there's nothing we can do about it. And this is not an exhaustive list, but there are several categories that I would call shame categories. And it's not in any particular order. But I think probably all of us can identify with some of these. There's the category of appearance and body image. There's the category of money, not enough money, and my job is kind of a, my job kind of is a crummy job. I'm ashamed of the work I have to do. There's shame that comes because of motherhood and fatherhood, and I'm not a good enough mom or a good enough dad, or the shame that got passed on from a dad or a mom that struggled. There's the shame of family. Some of us are ashamed to talk about the skeletons in the closet. We don't want anybody else to know. There's the shame, not only motherhood and fatherhood, but extending to that and in family, there's the shame that comes with parenting. Sometimes we feel shamed because, and you know, I really get this one when you got four adult kids and I love my kids to death. But, but let me put it on me. My mom and dad probably were ashamed of me at different times. And there's times that our kids don't always live up to our expectations. And because they don't live up to our expectations, we put shame on them or we put shame on ourselves because we didn't do what we felt like we should have done. There's the category of mental or physical health. There's shame that comes because of addiction. There's shame and confusion, especially in our culture, with the whole topic of sexuality and gender identity and so on, and the shame that comes with aging. You know, as you get older, you realize you can't do the things you used to be able to do anymore. And there's some shame that comes from that. Uh, I've always told my kids, you know, I, I, I don't plan to retire, uh, but if you notice that I'm drooling when I'm talking, which would be kind of shameful, please let me know because that's probably a good clue <laughs> that I need to retire. Because I don't want to shame myself as I'm talking to people. There's a shame that comes from religion. Sometimes we're embarrassed about things that happen in the church. There's certainly the shame that comes from surviving trauma. And I want to be really delicate with that issue because um, certainly if there's trauma that you're carrying because of things that happened to you when you were younger or because of circumstances that have happened in your life that are very traumatic, that's where you need, and I'll talk more about this in a little bit too, and that is, that's why it's so critical to find support and help. That's why I did the illustration with the kids in the backpack. You can't carry those things by yourself. Or you can try. But it'd be diff it's, it, it's easier and, and much more freeing if you get help and support. And, you know, here's some examples. There's the shame of getting laid off and having to tell my family. There's shame in having someone ask this question. When are you due? When you're really not pregnant. 
There's the shame of hiding that, the fact that I'm in recovery. Oh, I didn't know you went to AA. Yeah. There's the shame of raging at my kids. <laughs> I've never done that one before. The shame of bankruptcy. The shame of losing it all. The shame of my boss calling me an idiot in front of a client. Or the shame of my husband leaving me for my next door neighbor. Or the shame of my DUI. You know that those, uh, those what do they call those, sobriety stops? Or what do they call them? Checkpoints. The checkpoints. Do you know that if you, if you are intoxicated and you get stopped at one of those, do you realize your name and age goes in the newspaper? I was reading the newspaper one day about a checkpoint, Port Jefferson. In fact, it was a checkpoint that I had gone through. My name was not in the paper, by the way. But it was, I was thinking how shameful it would be to your family and to the people you know and work. Hey, did you read that Joe Smith, the principal of our kids' school, got picked up for a DUI today? There's a shame of uh, infertility. There's a shame of internet pornography. The shame of flunking out of school. Maybe sometimes more than once. There's a shame of hearing my parents fight through the walls and wondering if I'm the only one who feels afraid. Shame is real pain. And as I said, shame is different than guilt. Guilt's something I did. I did something bad and I experienced guilt. Shame is the identity that I am bad. I feel guilty because I forgot somebody's birthday, so I apologize and say, here's a belated birthday card, I'm so sorry. But shame says I feel like I'm worthless and nobody likes me and I cannot be set free of this shame and it pervades everything about who I am. And it, it does what it did to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were trying to do everything they could to cover up, to be invisible, to hide away from God because God's image had been tainted because of their shame. Tracy goes on to say in his book, no matter how much we have sinned, healthy shame is a gracious call to correction and cleansing so we can be what the Lord of the universe meant us to be. The only way shame can be healthy is if you find the right place and a safe place to be set free of the shame. And it starts with the remedy that's in the gospel. It starts with the remedy that responds to the question, where are you? We're going to celebrate the Lord's table this morning. And it's a reminder for all of us again, everyone. The Lord's table says to us, our shame has been lifted because, because He took our shame on His back. It's this gracious call to repentance. It's dealing with the statement that says, if anyone knew this about me, they would they couldn't possibly love me. I would lose all of their respect. It deals with the triggers of shame. The triggers like, I'm not extraordinary enough. I'm not authentic enough. I'm not easygoing enough. I'm not spiritual enough. Whatever you can put in there, whatever blank you, word you can put in there, I am not enough. Which is the root of shame. And shame is... is is one of the most corrosive of human emotions. 
with the power to convince us that with this little voice in our head that says that, that, that you were right after all, you know. I knew you were going to fail. I had a friend of mine in California. She said that her dad's favorite name for her was Nitwit. I knew you were going to do that. You're just a nitwit. How's it feel to be a nitwit? I mean, you must be like the, you must, you must be the, the, the king of nitwits. That's the kind of stuff that he would say to her. And it's this excruciating feeling and a universal feeling, rich or poor, overweight or thin, successful or struggling. We all experience shame from time to time whether we admit it or not. And usually, we don't admit it. We have in our DNA the Adam and Eve gene. The Adam and Eve gene that says, what shame? I don't have any shame. You know, we hide it behind religion. We hide it behind, well, you know, I read my Bible every day all I can while we're still suffering with lots of pain. It's in our biology. It's in our biography. And it can emerge and shut us down in all sorts of different ways where we become destructive to ourselves and others. It's interesting, even in secular literature, shame has been linked to addiction, to violence, to aggression, to depression. It's been uh, linked to eating disorders, and the epidemic problem that exists in schools today with bullying, you know what the root of it is? It's shame. The bully is dealing with issues of shame. And so it's crucial that we learn ways to deal with it and build healthy, healthy barriers against it because of it being in our biology and our biography. And because it's there, the first step to getting unburdened of shame is acknowledging the fact I have shame that I have to deal with. And the second thing we need to acknowledge is I can't get rid of this shame just by myself. And I don't have to. And so that's the remedy that starts with God's pursuit of us. And His question to Adam and Eve, where are you? So I want to ask you the same question that He asked. Where are you? Where are you? And so he gives us the remedy. And somebody has said, I like this statement, it says, shame is the uber that takes you to the gospel. It's a good one. So 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Some of you could probably quote this verse. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so for any one of you to say this morning that you don't deal with anything that relates to shame, you're deceiving yourself. And you're pushing the truth of God out of your life. Because we all deal with it, small, medium, or large. We all deal with it to some level. But it goes on to say, if we confess, which means to agree and give thanks, we say, I confess, Lord, I've got shame. And I thank you that you can take my shame away. That's what confession is. I confess my sin. He is faithful and just to forgive all of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. What unrighteousness? 
the unrighteousness that was the very first act of sin or the, or the, the um, result of the very first diso- act of disobedience, which was disobedience, then shame. And so he's faithful and just, which means to, to forgive means to send away, to lay aside all of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness or the moral wrongfulness of character, life, or act. It's all gone. It's wiped away. And so, what do we do? Even this morning, as maybe the Holy Spirit brings different things to our mind that we battle with and we wrestle with, the next time shame comes our way, we consider some of these steps. First of all, we bring it into the light. We share the joy of testimony. Could I say to you that I think it's healthy in the right setting, in the right context, in a safe environment for you to share a testimony of being set free of shame? For someone else to hear that allows them to know I could be set free as well. That's the value of testimony. Because Brene Brown in her book, Daring Gently, says the less we talk about shame, the more power it has over our lives. And so it's helpful to talk about shame. It's helpful to be with a community of people you feel safe sharing with. If we cultivate enough awareness about shame to name it and speak it, we basically cut it off at its knees. But by acknowledging shame, we refuse to let it fester or define us. When we bury the story, we forever stay the subject of the story. But Dr. Brown writes later, if we own the story, we get to narrate the ending. That's a good one right there because the gospel is the part of the narration that changes the ending to the story that shame began. That's really good news, everybody. We also untangle what we're feeling. We identify, am I hearing this phrase, you should be ashamed of yourself because there's something wrong with me? Or is there something I did I need to take care of? Maybe I affected a relationship. Maybe I did get upset at my kids way out of line. And so I need to go to my kids and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And so we distinguish and we untangle the two to make sure we know what we're feeling. Researchers define it this way. Shame means I'm bad. Guilt means I did something bad. And so we take care of it. The third thing is we unhitch what you do, what we do, we unhitch it from who we are. We make sure we understand the difference between what we do and who we are in terms of our identity. We recognize the triggers. We pay attention that maybe the reason we have a certain parenting style is because we either are parenting like our parents did or we're parenting in reaction to the way our parents did. And we recognize that there are some aspects of that particular style that are shame-producing, either in us or in our kids. I should pay attention to it as a leader, as a pastor, to be careful that I'm not... If any of you have ever grown up in a church, been in a church that's very legalistic and moralistic, that it, it produces shame like crazy. And pastors that are part of producing that need to confess to their congregations, I was wrong. 
and we make connections. Shame is at its essence the fear of connection. Or the fear of, I should say, the fear of disconnection. And so what we do because we feel ashamed of ourselves is we find a way to avoid other people. And that's the last thing we need if we feel shame. That's the last thing we need. And so what we do is we find a way to make connections. We find support groups. We find a safe small group. We find a safe DNA group. We find a safe group of people that we can talk with, not just to commiserate in our shame, but to be set free of our shame. So here's three words. Three words that give us a simple application of what we do. What do we do about shame in our life? First thing is confession. We acknowledge it. We confess it. The second is we look for community. We find safe people to share our, our situation with. And the final thing is counseling. Spiritual counseling. Any kind of counseling that allows you to take a look a different perspective to make sure. And I say spiritual counseling because even though there's nothing wrong at all going to a secular counselor. The solution to the problem is pointing back to the cross. The remedy to shame always is the gospel. And it's so fascinating, there are secular counselors, they don't use those words, but they, they apply it because it, it, at the end of the day, it's the only way that really works is to be counseled back to the place of the gospel. So as we get ready for communion, I want to go back to those three biographies that I started with this morning. Confession, community, and counseling. That's what happened to the woman at the well. She listened to Jesus. She believed in Him. And her sin-wrecked life was redeemed and her shame destroyed. Do you remember what she did after she was set free? She ran into the town and she started telling everybody that she knew. She became the ultimate evangelist. And I don't know if she used these words, but I'd like to think that what she did was, I just met someone that set me free of all of my shame. And he could set you free too. And then... That's what happened to King David. He confessed his sin and he trusted the pre-incarnate Christ and his guilt and shame, which was great, was imputed to Christ and paid for in full. And he was able to say those words in the great prayer in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because the gospel changed the narrative of the story of shame in his life. And then finally, That's what happened to the hemorrhaging woman. Jesus did make her tell the crowd of her shame. Remember, he says to her, how can I heal you? What can I do for you? She had to acknowledge to all of these people listening what she needed. And in so doing, she received the healing and the cleansing that she needed. And Jesus made her shame a showcase of His grace. I'd like us to get ready to receive communion.
and to prepare our hearts. I'd like us to make sure that we are dealing with any shame that exists in our life before we receive the cup and the bread. And here's why. It's a whole lot more fun to receive communion when we are filled with the joy of salvation than when you're walking up with your head down because you're so ashamed of yourself. And I'm not suggesting anybody's going to do that this morning, but I think figuratively it's possible. And I want us to be able to experience communion with the fullness of the freedom that's available to us in Jesus Christ. And I also want to remind us, I don't care how old you are, I don't care if you're the oldest person in the room or the youngest person in the room. There's not one person in here immune from shame. And shame is so powerful. It is so powerful that I, I think the reality is, is that one of the tricks of the enemy is to cause us to get apathetic and to think, oh, yeah, I'm good. I don't have any shame. And I'm not saying that you should just constantly rehearse it except to say that if we get apathetic and think, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't have any shame, just pay attention. Just go back to it and say, Lord, am I, am I letting anything identify who I am that is not of you? Please set me free. So I'd like you to bow your heads. And I want you to extend your, invite you to extend your hands out in front of you as a way of receiving the Lord's healing, freedom, and forgiveness once again. And so, Lord, we ask that you would once again come in any area that percolates feelings of shame. We pray that you would help us to unburden that shame right now. So none of us are afflicted, so that when we come up to receive the bread and the cup this morning, we can walk with shoulders he held high, with heads held high, our shoulders back, with a sense of freedom that we are completely free of that burden. Anybody here that's carrying that brick right now, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would be released and set free. No longer, no longer a part of your story, but changed because of the power of Jesus received into your life once again. And it's in His name I pray. Amen. It's the grace, the love, and the fellowship that we have with God that sets us free of shame. So, as we finish this morning, extend your hands just to receive a, a fresh outpouring of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Grace, love, and fellowship be yours in the fullness of of what God wants to give to you today throughout the rest of this day and throughout this week. In His name, amen. Amen.